Before this episode of the Artists and Emotions podcast gets started, I want to give a fair warning that this episode contains subject matter such as depression, alcoholism, thoughts of suicide, and traumatic experiences. If these are things, along with strong language, that you are not comfortable listening to or they trigger you in some way, I do not recommend that you listen to this episode of the podcast. But without any further ado, here we go. You're the sole survivor. We're keeping you safe, Ronnie. Call me Butch. Everyone calls me Butch. You end up completely untouched. Yeah. I guess I got lucky. Not listening. I don't fucking care. I'm just trying to fucking help you guys. Look at a picture, Butch. Fuck you. Why would Allison's blood be on your clothes? I don't know. Uh, maybe what I did was I took my hands and I put it in the pool of blood. And then I wiped it all over myself. Why, Mr. DeFeo? Why would you have put your hands in the blood? <sighs> Mr. DeFeo. I don't know. Maybe I like blood. Why? Did I kill my father? I killed them all. I had to. It was self-defense. I was wondering when you were going to come to. What's your name? I said, what's your name? They chose you. Hey, hey, hey. It's okay. It's okay. They chose me too. I don't know who they are, but they can be very persuasive. They gave me a choice. Broke it down real easy for me. Be the offered or do the offering. I chose the latter. Maybe, maybe it's you. Why does everyone around you either leave or die? They left all those years ago too, right? It's kind of a strange time to try and play father of the year. You need to stop. Your neighbors, they're dead too, right? First one on scene for that one. Kind of suspicious, don't you think? Enough! And Stacy, you rip her open too? Welcome one and welcome all to the Artists and Emotions Podcast. My name is Cody Alexander Curtis, and you just got finished watching the demo reel or listening to the demo reel of a very talented individual and someone who I would consider at this point to be a very good friend, and that is Ethan Rogers. He is an actor along with a lot of other things that we're certainly going to talk about here. But Ethan, how are you doing today, good sir? Uh, Cody, first of all, I wanna say thank you very much for having me on. Um, I've been excited about this and looking forward to it. So I'm uh, I'm happy to be here. Uh, it's it's an honor to be on your inaugural show, and uh, I uh, I look forward to to talking to you today about uh, acting and all things filmmaking in life. Yeah, I mean it should be pretty good. Now, I mean the first time we met each other, it's like. So that you people know, a little while ago, I wrote a script that was like 145 pages. The The project itself fell through, but Ethan was one of the people who auditioned for it. And that's how we initially met each other. Although I had been hearing a lot about you up until that point around the New England circuits in regards to how good of a guy you were and how talented you are and, and all of that good stuff. And Ethan, he... he crushed it he absolutely blew the audition away and we went from there but little did i know ethan rogers and i would get the chance to work with each other not too long after that point yes yeah uh we met up again on uh, one for the road 
Yeah, and for for those of you who are listening who don't know what One for the Road is, uh, first of all, Ethan and I are both what you could say Stephen King superfans. And because of our brilliant director, uh, David Jester, we were able to come together and be a part of creating an adaptation of One for the Road. Now, that film, don't want to talk about too much about that here, because as time goes on, more than likely, and definitely, things are going to be coming out about it. But I remember... If there's one thing I can say I remember the most about working with you on that set is just, once again, just how genuinely good of a guy you were. And I know we had actually sat down and talked like two months before we actually went into production, something along those lines. And we just had had a conversation over coffee about life and about our love for film and about, and then we finally got the chance to, to actually work across from each other. And I now especially now have nothing, nothing for respect for you as a person and how you work and just everything else. You were a joy to work with. And I remember the, the last thing I said to you before I left was the fact that watching you work, it felt like taking a masterclass and how to just not only be a good person, but to be a good and professional actor at the same time. Well, I appreciate that, Cody. Thank you very much. You're very, it's very flattering. Um, you're a phenomenal scene partner you make the scene easy to work in, you know? So that's, that's all I want to be is I want to be somebody that allows my scene partner to be able to stretch their creative legs, you know, get the takes that we want, get the takes that we need, um, make the director happy, get everybody home in time for, for a little bit of relaxation. So we're not on set for 14 hours. trying to get it. <laughs> yeah. That's my main goal. My main goal is to get everybody off the set so we can be done for the day. It's not that I don't love being there. But there are some days where you're just like, okay, let's hit the shot. Let's get the mark. Let's go. Yeah. And especially when you've got multiple 14-hour days back to back to back, especially (laughs) if some of them are overnight shoots. It can be a lot. And so you want to just be able to say, I want want to be, the the, when it comes to being on set and being an actor, I picked up a mantra uh, when I was working on Free Guy. I was doing a lot of, I did some background work on Free Guy with Ryan Reynolds. Hell of a fun set. Um, but one of the lessons I learned there and a mantra that I established for myself was that I always wanted to be the person that you want to be around on set. You know, everybody knows the person that you don't want to be around on a set. You know, it's the grown, the, the griper, the person who's complaining about every little thing, you know, just grown, grown, grown. And there's a certain amount of, of griping and bitching and moaning that I think is acceptable and allowed because we're humans, but it's not what you want to hear all the time. So my mantra is, just be the guy you want to be around on set. You want to be light. You want to be friendly. You want to be having fun, but being professional at the same time. After all, we're there to work, but it's a, it's a job, but it's a fun job, but it's still a job, you know? So yeah. you, you've got to be able to, to draw the line between, okay, the cameras are off. We're off camera. We're, we're relaxing. See, he agrees. Oh, yeah. Aww. Uh, um, and, you know, being able to, turn it back on and go to work you know nobody wants to be on all the time and it's exhausting to be on all the time and you want to be able to build a relationship and a rapport with the people around you because that'll help get better work out if you have a rapport with the person standing next to you you have a little bit more knowledge about how far you can push them in a scene either you know push them to get somebody to laugh push them to get them to cry you know just having a working rapport with your co-stars or your scene partners will always make the job easier with what's going on in the industry being connected and being a good person at the end of the day is still it's so so crucial especially with the sag after strikes and the writers guild strikes that are going on right now being a good person and being a person that people want to work with it's really really important but now you don't want to work with assholes exactly you do not want to work with assholes the era of the prima donna actor has got to end and that's it, it's it's there's no room for it it stifles creativity it hurts the people around you it takes the focus off of what should be a completely and totally collaborative effort and makes the focus all on one person having a hissy fit and that's not what film is supposed to be film is supposed to be fun hard work and a collaborative process and if you've got one person there who's just making it miserable for literally everybody, it ruins all of those other things for everyone. 
for sure. And now, now that we're sort of here, Ethan, uh, I I would love for everybody listening, and of course for myself, for you to just tell us a little bit about yourself, like where yeah. you're from, sort of a little bit of your history, what got you into acting, like as much as you want to share, feel free. So, I started. Uh, I've always wanted to be an actor, you know, um, and uh, I never got into acting because one, I'm from Detroit, the Midwest. And uh, I was born in the 80s. And so growing up in the 90s as a child, you know, I wanted to be an actor, but it's Hollywood, you know, and you're living in the thumb of Michigan at that point, And there's nobody around. So how do you how do you get into that? It's impossible. So um, fast forward, uh, adulthood, marriage, divorce, army, alcohol abuse, Afghanistan, home, leaving the military, and uh, one day you wake up and you're sitting in a desk at a dead-end job, and you've done nothing for the last couple of years except drink and uh, other stuff, and uh, you are at the bottom of a really depressive well, and uh, you're sitting there at this dead-end job thinking to yourself, man, what the, what the fuck am I doing? You know? And I remembered sitting there at that desk that I always wanted to be an actor, you know, cause I was thinking I was going back. I was like, let's, we've tried a lot. You know, I've done a lot. I was in the army. I've done sales. I was a did contract security for a little while. Um, I was a loan officer at a bank for five years. Uh, I've been a politico. I was on the campaign trail with Obama in 07 and 08. Uh, um, Afghanistan. I've circumnavigated the earth. I've worked with, the lowest of the low and the highest of the high, you know, special forces uh, worked interfaced with secret service and department of justice folks and all sorts of things. And I'm sitting at this fucking desk going nowhere. And I'm like, okay, well I've done all this other shit and I still have this hole in my chest. You know, I still have this, this, this desperation in my soul. And uh, none of that stuff has, has, has done anything. None of it's filled it up. I mean, I've, I've done some amazing shit. I've seen some amazing things. Um, like I said, I circumnavigated the earth. I met President Obama a couple of times. Um, went to Afghanistan, came home, saved lives. But I still had this, this hole in my chest, you know? And I started thinking back. I was like, well, what have I always wanted to do that I haven't done yet? Acting. I've always wanted to act. Ever since I saw Jurassic Park as a kid. Always wanted to act. I saw Jurassic Park in the theaters when it first came out. And man, it was awesome. Um, and I, I, ever since then, I always wanted to act. And I knew Boston was, you know, getting bigger and becoming a hotter film scene. So I knew that there would be talent agencies. I knew that there would be people up here now. Because when I was a kid, there really wasn't anything. You know, Boston casting may have existed, but in the early thousands, how would you know about it? Yeah. You know, how would you, how, like, how do you even know where to get started? You go to film school, I guess, and you just kind of hope that you make it. But I was already in debt from going to college. You know, I went to school to, for, for history, so I've got that, but that doesn't necessarily translate. So so I, uh, I did what anybody would do. I was sitting at my desk and I did a Google search. Boston casting, Boston talent agency, Boston, whatever. And I found a few that were obvious scams. You know, your first Google searches and it's like, Hey, we're going to make it. It's like, okay, this is, this is obviously bullshit. You know, I found one that didn't really, that didn't feel like bullshit. Just one. And it was for my first agent, Sophia Sanyanka. Uh, and I sent, she, they were doing an open casting call in like June or July or something. It was like April or May. And so I sent in my information, sent him a picture. And like a month later, I heard back from him. And they're like, yeah, you should come on down to the open casting. You know, they sent a script over. I memorized the script. I went down there and uh, she picked me up. You know, I, I auditioned for her. And by November, she had me in my first commercial. That's incredible. Yeah. So, you know, getting that initial 
you know, the initial fun of it, you know, taking a bus down to Boston to go to a casting agency. You know, there's little things that you enjoy about just the process of it, of the doing. You know, like, well, I'm actually on a bus going to a city to go for an audition. You know, this is something that's actually legitimately happening. It's something that went from I've always wanted to do this to I'm doing it. And that's what kept me going back. You know, I got on the set for this uh, ESPN commercial. And I was just there as a background extra. I think you see the back of my head in the commercial, which is, you know, whatever. Um, But I was a stand-in for one of the people, one of the stars. And I'm sitting up on this desk, and it's like a news press conference kind of a setup. And uh, I'm looking out from from behind this desk with the other guy who's standing in, and we're just yucking it up. And I see all the lights and just the silhouettes of the people and the cameras and everybody moving around behind them and everything. And I was like, yes, this is where I want to be. This is, this is where I want to be. This is where I belong. This is where I feel comfortable. This is where this, this. Yeah. There's always that first initial feeling. Now I got to ask you, because obviously when it comes to commercial shoots and theatrical and narrative shoots there is a there's a big difference and i don't i don't necessarily want to get into the the differences in the technical stuff here but the one thing i want to ask you is was there one theatrical and narrative project where you got on there and after it was done you were like wow so this is what this medium and and performing performing as an actor this is how magical and powerful it can truly be like it just yeah. completely changed your life or more so than when you initially got into this and you were invested like sort yeah. of an expansion of i know for a fact i'm never leaving this yeah i would think it would, i think for me personally it was with stray um that was the first really big thing that i was able to do i had done a short film with uh henry uh, my writing partner henry columbar and uh sherry lee we had done a short film together and that was fun you know, it was, it was, it was a good time. We had a good time with it, but Stray was the first time I really had to push myself outside of that comfort zone. And, you know, I spent two days chained up in a basement getting beat on and it was an amazing experience. And I had to draw upon a lot of the experiences that I'd had before, you know, just resiliency and keeping a positive attitude and a really not so awesome situation. Um, being able to help motivate my scene partners and keep everybody positive and keep everybody moving. I walked away from that one thinking to myself, if I can do that, I can fucking do anything, you know? And I, there was no, after doing that, there was no job that I was like, I don't know if I can do this. It was always like, well, we'll figure it out. That was just so deeply satisfying, you know, just having that opportunity and from the audition process all the way through to getting the part. It was an absolutely fantastic experience. I feel very fortunate that I was able to have it. I'm glad you have that. Like, once again, maybe maybe it was because of you and a lot of the other people that we worked with. But that experience for me was on one for the road. Oh, it, it's like for for the longest time, it's like you get into it initially and there do come certain points where you feel like you're going through the motions. One for the road for me was the first time where I looked at this and I just said to myself, I'm a fucking actor like this. This is absolutely who I am. And it's because of you, because of David, because of our head producer, Lee, because of of a bunch of the other people we worked with. It was such a transcendent experience. Now, the next thing I want to sort of move on to, because you've talked briefly about sort of going to Afghanistan and and sort of your past before acting. uh, But what I want to sort of move into, and of course, within whatever you're comfortable talking about, is what your mental health journey has been like, like leading up to today, sort of high points and low points and sort of how you grew and 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 learned from those experiences to become sort of the best version of who you are right now yeah uh, well i'm i'm working on that working on being the best version of myself it's like lincoln said we're working towards a more perfect union it's not perfect yet yeah we're always be aspiring to be the best versions and that's going to be something somebody new every day um or every week but anyway um yeah so right before i left for afghanistan i went through a not 
so great divorce. Um, and I was in a really not so awesome place before I left. I'd been drinking pretty heavy um, and got into a little bit of trouble and ended up still going to Afghanistan. Um, and it was, uh, it was hot, you know, it was a very, very, very hot place. Didn't see a lot of what would be considered classic, you know, combat action or whatever people think from the movies. Now I was, uh, I was a military police officer, um, and I served in that capacity. Um, we were on what's referred to, it was Kandahar airfield. Um, it's not ours anymore. And there was, uh, the base itself was, uh, 12 square miles by four square miles. So not a huge place, but very long because it was an airfield. And at the height of the summer, there were 60,000 people there. And there were 32 of us to do police work. And it was a lot, you know, so we would run 12 hour days, um, seven days a week, one on or one off and then seven more on. It's because there were just so many people and so few of us, we were pretty much always shorthanded. Gotcha. Uh, now for, for somebody like, like me or anybody else who might be listening, what's the, what would be the main differences between let's say officers you'd find inside of the States and somebody who's in the military as a police officer? Well, it really depends on where that military police officer is doing their job. For me, I was, we were in a combat zone. Kandahar was considered a combat zone. So the biggest difference would be that people would shoot rockets at me every once in a while. I had a lot more accountability as far as my actions were concerned. Um, and we ran the pretty much the full suite of police operations, though. So we were running traffic. We were do doing, you know, um, so we would do community policing, quick reaction forces. We would do response to threats on the wire. We would do uh, investigations for pretty much everything from simple assaults robbery homicide we dealt with two riots over 100 rocket attacks one ground attack one green on blue incident where a friend of mine was killed and a whole bunch of other stuff so we did that for about a year so we'd find one of the things we do with finding insider threats um insider threats would you know consist of Irani, iranians and pakistanis or afghans or pretty much anybody um, who was passing information uh, to people that were adversarial to us. So worked on finding those guys, all sorts of stuff. Gotcha. Okay. And sort of circling, circling back to, to what we were talking uh, about here a little bit earlier uh, in regards to when you were over in Afghanistan and you did have all those responsibilities and those dangers on your back, uh, what would you say the hardest part of, of being in that world at, at the time was for you? The hardest part, honestly, was being away, you know, being, being out of touch, being away from everybody. I didn't see the thing is for a hard dose of honesty here, I wasn't trying to come home from Afghanistan. So let's just put, put it in that for, in, in those terms. Um, I was in a really dark place when I was there. And if I had died doing my job, it wouldn't have bothered me. Gotcha. So I wasn't exactly going out of my way to not, I wasn't going out of my way to avoid the dangerous situations that I'd find myself in. And so I was in a pretty dark place when I was there. And the hardest thing for me was not killing myself. Um, gotcha. So, uh, Overall, I've had six suicide attempts, um, two in Afghanistan, four since I've been home. Um, it was it was a rugged time. I've had uh, I've, I've gone through a lot of therapy over the last. Oh, oh, no, buddy. For a big guy. Big sneeze for a big guy. And he's out. OK. Um, yeah, so all told, I've had about six suicide attempts, um, two, two while I was over in Afghanistan and four more since I've been home. I haven't had a suicide attempt in four years, four or five years, so I'm doing pretty good. That's good. Uh, but I've been in constant therapy. I don't see a therapist as often anymore, but I still do see a therapist. Um, I have several different mental health issues. So I've got uh, PTSD. I've got um, 
I'll just go, I'll try and do it alphabetically. That's more fun. Um, anxiety, ADHD combined type, bipolar type two, depression, schizotypal personality disorder, which is on the schizophrenic spectrum. And I'm, I know I'm forgetting one. I'll, I'll it's remember. okay. Um, so I've got a whole bunch of different things going on. And so my mental health journey has been a story of ups and downs, but ultimately I feel like since I've been in therapy and on medication and since I found acting, all of those things really tied together as what I needed to, to make it, you know, it was, it was a combination of perseverance, having a, a really great support network. I have to say, um, I've got an amazing, amazing family and network of friends that have always been there for me to, to pick me up when I'm having a, when I'm falling down. And so without them, I wouldn't be here. And without acting, I wouldn't be here. And without that, I wouldn't have this little guy who's, you know, really become the main inspiration for me to be here and to keep, keep pushing as far and as long as I possibly can. I mean, look at this guy. He is really adorable. I mean, isn't he? Look at that face. Hold on. That's my face. That's I mean, face. how can you resist? How can you resist that face? Look at that face. It's fucking wild. All of this because I started acting. Yeah. I mean, it's all, it's all really, really wonderful stuff. I am, I am sorry that you, that within, within all the goodness you've had in, in recent times, you've had all those, those rough experiences too. Now I do yeah. want to ask you, like you, you have mentioned therapy. Are there other things that you found like outside of, outside of what you've already mentioned that have, that have helped you on this, on this mental health journey of yours as well? Yes. Um, mindfulness meditation. I meditate constantly, very frequently. If you're, if you've been on set with me, then chances are you've seen me meditating at some point. Um, yeah. if it takes, you've probably seen me do that. Uh, helps to keep me grounded, helps keep me centered. I smoke a lot of pot. Um, and the reason for that is because it helps keep me, it helps keep me level where I'm all over the place with all this different stuff going on the schizophrenia and the, the ADHD and the bipolar and the depression and the anxiety and the PTSD. You know, you got all these things bouncing around in your head all the time. And, and it's really just so I can, I can function, you know, and just be normal around humans without acting like a crazy all of the time um if you want to see a great example great examples of me actually being a crazy person on camera the clips of me in defeo i'm totally fucking off my meds 100 <laughs> percent, uh completely and totally off my meds um if you the clips of me from black vulture also not on my medication and there's certain times where that's helpful, but it's not, I wouldn't recommend it. I do it because I have a very fixed system that I've, I've worked out with my therapist and I have, I check in with the director. I talk to the director and producer beforehand, before I tell them I'm going to be doing this. I'm like, Hey, and it's, it's because you know, sometimes there are emotional levels you can't get to if you're, if you're medicated. That's, yeah. that's very fair. You know, sometimes there's emotional, there's, there's a level that you, that you can't convey if I'm on my anti, if I'm on my, my, my medication. So I'll take it, I'll, I'll step down a few days before I film the scenes that I'm going to be working. Uh, and so by the time the day of the shoot rolls around, I don't have my medication in my system anymore. I shoot my scenes. I give, before I shoot, I give the producer my medication or the director of my medication, I'm like, you give me this as soon as we're fucking done. And they do. We shoot the scenes. I, I, they say cut. I'm like, are you sure? Have we got it? It's like, yes. Okay, good. I take my meds and everything's fine. But it's a very, it's, it's not something I would recommend. No. You know, don't do that. If like, don't necessarily do that. I do it because I'm a crazy person. Yeah, I mean, you've already established it is a process for you as an actor that you have worked out with your therapist. 
Now, yeah. the one thing, the one thing I want to point out here that I'm sort of going to talk about is that therapy and medication has also helped me out. And for anybody listening, going to therapy is without a doubt a personal choice. This is not to say, even though it's worked for for me and Ethan, I advise therapy to basically everybody I come in contact to because I think having somebody there who can see things from the outside that you can't I think it really helps but once again it is a personal choice I mean I I know for me there have been many many points where because of a few other things that I'll probably get into on on later episodes but because of acting I have needed to go on to antidepressants it's it's one of those things where it's just it's a little thing that has helped. And then I find that if I go on it for a little bit and then go off of it, it does. I can generally find my way back around to, to being somewhat normal as normal as you can be while being in this profession anyway. Yeah. But it's, it's interesting that you, you bring that up and it feels like, it feels like from the beginning of this podcast to you talking about your experiences with your mental health journey and in sort of your, uh, the world of being an actor and finding your process. It feels like, like you said, being an actor has not only, has not only sort of, I don't want to say forgive yourself because I don't think that's the right term, but reform yourself after everything that's that, that you've gone through, but has also helped pave the way to you being the best man and the best version of yourself that you can possibly be including up to now even though growth is a is like a continuing journey that we're all on yeah i mean i i just i feel like without all the dings and the and the and the bends and the breaks in the frame and all the things that i've gone through that in the moment yeah they were traumatizing yeah there's there's shit that's happened if you i don't think you can go through 18 years on planet earth and not need to talk to a therapist about something you know and it's like you said it's it's about having an objective third party who's not your brother, your best friend, your, your whoever, who can say, no, that's kind of fucked up. You know, it's about having someone objectively say that to you. And as far as medication goes, you know, the you can take all the medication you want, but if, if you don't tie that in with some lifestyle changes, like quitting drinking or, you know, moving away from a, a, a deleterious crowd that you might be part of, it's not going to do anything. You know, you really yeah. do it. It's about it, there are lifestyle choices and changes that have to be made along with it, um, and that was for me part of the thing was acting was 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 that lifestyle choice because it gave me something else to focus on. It gave me something to work on. It allowed me to take all of those life experiences that had otherwise just kind of battered me around and, and you know, a, like a rock in a in a in a polisher, you know, um, just yeah, kind of around. And I was able to find an outlet to channel those things into. All those life experiences have, have, have been invaluable in building the characters, in on-screen performances, in dealing with difficult shoot locations, in dealing with, with adverse weather conditions. And all of that stuff plays into all of the experiences that I've had leading up to those moments, allowing me to give the best performance that I can give. Um, and just a quick caveat, as far as uh, me not taking my medication um, on shoots, I don't do that on every shoot, and it's definitely not every day, you know. So it's it's yeah. it, it's as needed and as required by the character and the scene that I'm in. Yeah, and so one for the road, I was medicated the whole time. Yeah, and for the for the roles that you specifically talked about, let's sort of let's sort of break down the the kind of roles that you did because i know that uh defeo jr that role in particular I'll, I'll let you sort of talk about that a little bit because i don't know how many people actually know the the story of defeo jr and what happened with his family and the M the amityville horror situation i know yeah. a lot of like die hard horror fans are very aware of what the story is based on but i i would love love to not only talk about that character and and why you did what you did to prepare for it but sort of that story because i think in terms of in terms of talking about uh mental health especially being in a creative space 
DeFeo Jr. wasn't exactly a, a mentally healthy individual oh, by no. any means. No, by any means. I mean, there, he was a classic narcissist with, with psychotic tendencies. Um, he was a drug addict. He was a drug dealer. He was an alcoholic. Um, in the days leading up to the crime of him murdering his entire family, he was on a strict diet of scotch and heroin. So that's not going to leave you in the best mental place imaginable. You know, if you go, yeah. if you're on a bender before something happens, you're probably not thinking straight. Um, but no, he was, he was a deeply troubled individual. Um, it was difficult to find, because I like to find something I can identify with when I play a character. You know, there's got to be something that I can, I can latch onto and say, okay, this is, but for DeFeo it was difficult because there wasn't really a whole lot of redeeming qualities. He was a racist he was um, a very physically. He was he was physically diminutive, but still a brutal individual. You know, he would start fights. He would pick fights. Um, he would threaten people. He had his family had connections to the mafia, which he used to um, act with impunity. You know, he was just an abusive little piece of shit, quite frankly. And one night he ended up murdering his entire family. I have no doubt that he did it. I, I watched hours. I, I mean, I watched every piece of footage that I could find. Every single interview, every single press appearance, every single courtroom appearance that I could find that there was any kind of footage of to study his mannerisms, to study his voice, to study how he would respond, how he'd react, how he'd shuffle in his chair. He was uncomfortable sitting still, so he had this, like, body movement to him, um, which was challenging because, you know, it's it's difficult to, as, to emulate that. If it's not your natural state, if it's your natural state, then you're doing it, you know, your autonomic systems are functioning. You're just doing it. You're not paying attention to doing it, and it doesn't wear you down to think about doing it because you're just doing it. But if you're mimicking it, you have to think about doing it constantly. And so that, that can get mentally tiring. So you've got to do that for a while so that you can, you know how you're going to look when you're doing it. You know, how's, how's it going to play on the camera? How's it going to look? How did he hold his lip? You know, what it is, how did he shave? You know, all that stuff. And the one piece, the one thing that I was able to, to latch onto um, that allowed me to identify with the character was he was he was physically abused when he was a kid. His dad used to kick the shit out of him on a regular basis. And I used to get picked on quite a bit when I was a kid. I was small, and I, I had two older brothers who let me know on a regular basis. And there was, you know, so I, 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 I got beat up a lot. And so I could identify with that as something that he and I both had in common. Granted, his abuse was significantly worse than mine, but it was, it was a commonality. It was a thread. And I feel like that was all it took. That was all I needed to be able to step into that place. And it was, it was, it was interesting. I don't, I didn't, I didn't like having DeFeo in my head because he was a deeply unpleasant individual. Um, yeah. Deeply narcissistic, very selfish, you know, and, and capable of, of incredible violence when his back was to the wall. Yeah. And, how I feel about it personally. You know, I feel like there was, there's a lot, there's a lot to it, but personally, I feel like he had his back. He felt like he had his back to the wall for one reason or another and murdered his whole family. And there's, there's nothing redeeming about any of that. And quite frankly, I'm glad he's dead. Yeah. Like you're not wrong. And I think you've definitely hit on just by, by talking about your experience preparing for the role itself. It's something that we as actors understand, but not a lot of people in the outside world looking in, in terms of preparing for, for roles like DeFeo Jr. or like, say, a Curly from uh, Of Mice and Men or yeah. like these these really, really troubled and dark individuals. There's a reason why actors go to therapy, especially when we have to prepare for stuff like this. And even in general, being an actor means being prepared to be emotionally vulnerable to the point of teetering on the edge of of depression a good portion of the time yeah. and and when you've got to play a character like defeo or and i use the curly example because i actually played curly enough mice and men in my senior year of college uh those those characters they do get in your head because 
you you don't ever want to bring work home with you as an actor but unfortunately when a character is so polar opposite of who you are sometimes it does sneak in and that's why therapy helps it helps get that out of your system oh yeah you know and the sooner you can drop it the better you know i'm not one i'm not nostalgic about my parts that's that's i think i think the best way i can describe it is i'm not nostalgic about the parts that i play um I play them, I enjoy them while I'm doing it, some more than others, some I enjoy an incredible amount, but I'm not nostalgic about it. You know, let's, let's, let's go, let's keep working, let's, let's, let's move on to the next one. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not fun to sit and wax poetic about something you've already done. You know, what's fun is doing something new. What's fun is, is making, is, is, is making a scene that's never existed before. For sure. And what's fun. It's like you said before, as spectacular as we all feel it is, acting is, it's a job. You go yeah. in, you do your work, you go home. Like yeah. that's, that's what happens. And one of the things I think as far as, it's a job, right? Which means that there's a certain level of, a certain expectation of ability and professionalism. You know, if you go to a, a job job, like a real job, and you show up, there's expectations of you on how you're going to act, how you're going to perform while you're there, right? And there's nothing more frustrating to me as an actor than showing up on a set and it's not where it should be. You know, there's a place to have fun. There's a place for spontaneity and improvisation. I'm all about it. I think it's great. But we've all been on those sets where you're like, what are we doing right now? Yeah. And it's a warning to young actors. Keep an eye out for that. I'm not going to drill on it. I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to point fingers. But as we're sitting here, you know, handing out pearls of wisdom and talking about life, if it feels like it's not right in your gut, it probably isn't. Yeah, it's true. And that's one thing as you stay long enough in this in this profession that you learn to do. You have to learn to trust your gut. And when it comes to young actors, the one thing I will say is that because it is a learning experience, do keep your eye out. But even if you do keep your eye out, more than likely you are going to be on one of those kinds of sets at least once. Oh, yeah. And the best thing about it is it is the greatest learning experience for what to look forward or what to look for in a project and what you should not be going onto a project for. Absolutely. I mean, it's um, you, you, you obviously can't predict which projects are going to turn out like that. But I've learned something from each and every single one of them. And I think the, the flip side to the coin is you're going to have a sour experience in acting. At some point in time, you'll be on one of those sets where you just have a sour experience. And the, the true test of it will be, do you learn from it or do you walk away from it? You know, and if you can learn from it, you're going to last in the business. Yeah. I've been doing this six going on seven years now. And if you can, and there's, there's a lot of people who have just come and gone in the New England region in that time frame. You know, you're like, where did they used to do? Okay. But if you can, if you can learn from those sour moments and say to yourself, okay, that's how I don't want my set to run. I want to be on a different level. I think that's important to be able to recognize and, and encourage that. I agree. And the, the one thing about this business, everybody says that you've got to be mentally tough to stay in this business. And that's, it's one of the reasons why I started this podcast is because not, there's not a lot of people outside of the industry who know, like, just if you are not careful when it comes to whether you're an actor, a filmmaker, a storyteller, a writer, anybody in a creative space, if you are not careful, your mental health will be destroyed. Oh, if yeah. you're not if you're not doing what you need to to take care of it so you can have longevity in this career. Absolutely. It's a, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. You know, and you've got to be you got to be wary of people who are going to want to take advantage of you and for their own benefit. You know, not everybody has has the best intentions at heart in this industry, quite frankly. No. You know, there's a lot of users out there. Yeah. Uh, who who will use you up for their own art. You know, it's true. It's, it's, it's unfortunate. I'm not sure how we got on that subject. I'm a little wander. It's, I'm very tired. It's, hey, hey, it's okay. And I think, I mean, I think you bringing up that point, I think it is, once again, I mentioned a little bit about it earlier, but talking about 
people using you in this industry and trying to basically take away your rights as a performer it's relevant to what's going on in the industry right now oh, yeah. with with the sag and writer strikes going on right now the number one rule everybody should be following in this industry and in this business is just be a just be a good person try be a good person and keep your nose clean that is that's what it comes down to you do that and you do the things you need to to take care of yourself you'll be able to stay in this in this industry forever just yeah. build like networking building connections and and doing everything you can to take care of you your mental health and the people around you that's what this whole industry is about yeah i mean in an event and hopefully getting paid at some point <laughs> which let's be honest the amount of work we have to do to get to that point is it's a lot uh, and even the people who are doing it don't get paid it's true unfortunately you know, it, it's to me it, it says the, studio, the old studio models are dead yeah uh, and I, I can't wait for for them to die. Hey, I can't disagree. I've always said that the in the indie circuit and independent film studios, those are the things that that I find most attractive. Because oh, yeah. the creativity the creativity isn't dead. It's still there. It's not going after it for money. Yeah. And I mean if you look at some of the stuff that's come out in theaters recently, not counting Arbeheimer, um yeah, the Flash was what, like a two hundred million dollar bomb? Yeah, more than that. Like nobody's actually going to see them. Yeah, they which spend all this money, but no one's actually going to go see the movie. Yeah, and it's crazy when you look at independent films that are being released right now. They're it's a cycle, and the cycle has really hit. Where independent films, A twenty four is a big hand in this, but independent films are the new blockbusters. Every time there is an interesting looking independent film, everybody flocks to the movie theater. Yeah. You know, you, you, that because it's fresh. It's not the same old, same old. It's not, you know, some, it's not bullshit. It's a genuine story. And I think that's one of the things that Hollywood's going to have to realize is that you actually have to tell genuine stories. They used to tell good stories, you know, back in the nineties, they used to tell great stories. There was my left foot. There was all of the, all of the crime and thrillers of the nineties. None of that's out there anymore. The John Grisham books the John Grisham movies, not a thing anymore. You, you no. don't have that same draw or you don't have the same production in, in those films. It feels like, I don't know. It just feels like boring. It's just repetition at this point. It's, there's a formula that everyone's trying to follow. Uh, superheroes get rich quick big explosions big cgi fights yeah or uh, i don't know i don't i don't know what it is anymore because nothing's actually happening you're just watching a big cut scene it's true it, i mean you're you're not wrong in any kind of capacity i i agree i'll tell you what though if there is one thing that is genuine and is not boring in any capacity it is you ethan rogers and as we as we come to sort of what will be the the end of this episode i just want to give you the time to sort of talk about yourself some more and talk about anything that you may be coming up or or something that you're super proud of or basically anything and everything that you want to talk about to put out there feel free like this this last little bit is for you well the thing that i'm most proud of right now is this little guy this little yeah. guy right here the thing that i'm most proud of and um I think that's the best thing that I've ever done in my life. They say it changes you and you don't really understand until it happens. And wow, that's the truth. I couldn't even explain it if I wanted to. Like, I, I, I honestly, I was thinking about it last night. I was like, I couldn't explain this to someone if I wanted to. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, but there it is. Uh, what's coming up for me uh, right now is I'm going into production on a film. I can't say a lot about it just yet. Going into production in September, October. It's a uh, feature-length horror, horror thriller. Um, I do a lot of those because that's what people make up here. <laughs> and then uh, working on a whole bunch of our own projects. We're trying to get our company, um, Hollywood Northeast LLP, off the ground. Uh, we have the trunk in the festival circuit right now. Um, it's getting its name out there. It's making the rounds. Writing. Trying to get back into doing some more acting I for the kind of took a good portion of this year off. I think the last thing that we, I filmed was actually 
One for the road. One for the road was the last big thing that I filmed um, before I decided to take the take time off for for this guy and his mama. Um, and that's what I've been doing for the last couple months. Um, I've been down on Long Island, um, just being here and helping out as much as I can, just trying not to get in the way and take care of him as much as possible. Um, but we're headed back up to New Hampshire soon, which is going to be great. Get back to this New England homeboys roots and, um, hope to start writing again soon. we got a bunch of stuff in the works that we need to just finish up. Um, some ideas that we're working on getting out there. Nothing super concrete, but with the writer's strike and everything going on, we're trying to find niches that we can fit in and fill certain creative and production requirements, you know, because you got to feed both ends of it. You got to feed the creative side of it, and then you actually have to try and make some money. Yeah. <laughs> it and is a business after all. It is. It is. And so that's what we're working on right now. We've got some ideas kicking around, but keep, but keep an eye out, and uh, you're, you're going to hear more, I imagine. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. Like, first of all, like, congrats to you, like for everything that you you've had come up in the past year. Seriously. Thank you. Like, and thank you. Thank you for being so kind enough to, to share your story and your journey and, and coming on this podcast. Like we haven't, the last time that I think we fully talked with each other was one for the road. And it was definitely the last time we've seen each other in person. So Honestly, this is another reason why I started up this podcast is because, to be honest, for my own selfish reasons, I wanted to see and talk with people again. Hey, and, totally get that, bro. Trust me. I, I, I totally appreciate it. That's that makes sense. But yeah, this has been this has been an amazing time talking with you, Ethan. Seriously. And for everybody out there who is who is currently listening, this man is I can't reiterate enough. One of the kindest and most giving actors i have probably ever met along with being one of the most genuine people i have ever met and so i hope you all enjoyed listening to him i hope you got something from this episode of the podcast and i hope you got something that you can bring with you on your own mental health journey if you choose to and with all of that being said i hope you all have a great day my name is cody alexander curtis i'm your host and this is the Artists and Emotions Podcast. See you next time.